welcome to After the Elephant. I'm Mark Allen, and this is a special edition of Late Night Health and our response and discussion panel to session four of Identifying the Elephant in the Room, Critical Communication Strategies in the Face of Sexism. We've just heard from leaders in the natural products industry that work in legal, finance, marketing, and retail on what they're seeing and hearing in the industry on the topic of sexism. The goal of our After the Elephant session is to process this information and respond to it in a discussion format with some thought leaders in the industry and then challenge other leaders in the industry to do some deep work to make meaningful and fundamental changes. Let me introduce our panel members right now. We're going to start with Alan Lewis, VP of Advocacy, Governmental Affairs from Natural, whoops, Natural uh, Grocers, and I'm going to change your size right there, and it'll work. Okay, um, over here we have uh, Ryan Honeyman, um, partner and owner of Lift uh, Economy, and welcome Ryan. And we also have Denise Lambertson, founder and chairwoman of LMS. Thank you all for being here. Let's start real simple. We've all been watching this last uh, panel. What's your takeaway? Alan, let's start with you. Well, this series is getting really interesting, and we're talking about some really difficult issues about past trauma and and the the emotions that we've all tamped down for our whole lives and then popping up and then realizing when we're in a, interacting with anybody else that that pain is present right and there's a there's a part of being respectful is recognizing that uh that that pain and the trauma is present and i'm not focusing just on women i'm focusing on focusing on men and women and that collectively, um, it sounds like we're getting to the place we're going to take care of everyone within the boundaries that we set. Ryan, what's your takeaway? Yeah, you know, I appreciate Alan your comments. Um, you know, what what stood out for me was just some feelings of grief around just how uh, like systemic and how deep this is, um, and you know, just. Sometimes I feel like in our society, we don't actually allow for grief. Um, it's more like move past that emotion, focus on action steps to address it. And so, um, yeah, I'm trying to sit with with that feeling and, you know, use it, I think, to motivate what I've seen as part of my work, which is calling in more men, particularly white men, to like, this is actually beneficial, like addressing sexism, addressing racism is actually beneficial for us too. It's, it actually creates a more joyful and loving experience for all of us. It's not just for women or for people of color. Uh, and so I think that that really has been sitting with me is that combination of grief and the desire to like bring more men into a space of belonging that we can sort of understand how this affects us as well. And Denise, your comments, what was your thought? What are your thoughts regarding uh, the panel? <laughs> Yeah, my my biggest takeaway is that this you know this issue is so nuanced you know there's like the range of from sexual predator to uh, microaggressions for somebody who 
would want to do better and does not know that they are, you know, kind of creating a sexist environment, et cetera, that is really, really broad. And I think that, um, you know, it, my feeling was that we should, my insight was maybe thinking less about like the, uh, the tranches of legal marketing retail and more about hey what are the what are the issues we're going to do to solve for uh, and how can we help the men and um and women frankly that want to just be better and have made mistakes and have habitualized um you know bad behavior because of you know, the way that um you know different different generational uh, experiences you know and then how are we going to treat management of companies that's allowing and then how are we going to treat like true sexual predators at, you know that that engage in behavior that is um you know that is deeply uncomfortable that would be in my opinion you know a conversation about a cancel culture etc there's just a spectrum and um uh and i i think it's uh, yeah so that, that was my biggest takeaway i think from my point of view i thought the overwhelming theme of the panel was respect, both toward women. Mostly we need to respect women more, but it also goes back and forth. I mean, both to men and to women. Ryan, what is your what are your thoughts about respect? Yeah, I mean, it's a baseline um, necessity, right? Um, and so, you know, what I heard was a lot of the women um, expressing the, the disrespect and like the sense of not belonging in many of these spaces. And then also this like incredible resiliency and like desire to, you know, write their, their own narratives and like, and like stand up in face of that. So I think respect is great. And like, for me, that's the baseline. Like we should go into not just respect, but like creating belonging and like, and so that's, sort of what I'm hoping to, to see happen in this industry. Denise? Yeah, I, I love that, Ryan, um, creating belonging, because I, I and I, I do think, you know, respect is was absolutely a theme. Um, and, you know, how do you how do you execute that? How do you implement that? How do you create, um, you know, as organizations, as an industry, as a community, like what um, if the theme was certainly that the respect needs to be there, but how how can we how can we get there? How can we set uh, benchmarks of what respectful behavior is? Um, it, you know, some of us might feel like it's really obvious. Others might you know might need some support and help to understand what the rest of us uh, consider to be respectful. So um, I I'm excited for kind of that second part of the conversation, which is like the how how we're going to get there. Alan. Well, um, I've got something to say about that. I think the reason that there's a lack of respect when we focus on men uh, engaging with women in our industry, I think the focus or the, the reason there's a lack of respect is that men and boys are raised where they cannot be vulnerable. And if you can't be vulnerable, you can't acknowledge that the person in front of you, a woman in front of you is going to be better at a whole lot of things that you're not so good at, right? And I, I see Denise yeah. saying, oh yeah. So um, 
many of the women in this series are colleagues and partners of mine that I talk to at least once a week, sometimes every day. Why? Because they're better than me. But you've got to go back to the cruelty that boys and young men suffer at the hands of other boys, men, and as we talked about, uh, girls as well. And that we can't have that conversation, right, Ryan, about our vulnerability and about our pain. Now, I'm not shifting this conversation to making it a, a, a about that, but it's the other side of this. The, the men that I know that are disrespectful do so because they think that if they're vulnerable, they will suffer at the hands of other people, particularly other men. And so we, that is, in my humble opinion, the part of the generational healing and changing culture that we need to undertake. You know, one of the panel members uh, made a comment that uh, boys will be boys. I think it's Suzanne uh, Sheldon said that and that it's not 1950. I don't think any of us were around, even me, in 1950. But is that same boys will be boys, the boys club, is that still status quo? Or is it, are we letting, and that's not the right way of phrasing this, but are we letting women in? That's. Well, can I take a shot at responding? Absolutely, Alan. I think that's the wrong framing, Mark. Um, boys, I, I love the concept of boys being boys being a problematic statement. I have raised my own two sons and a number, dozens of other young men who are now end of 20s, early 30s. They are deeply traumatized by their childhoods. Now, if you're tending to say that means that they can act out on that, especially against women that they work with, or that they're dating, well, that's a hard stop for everybody, right? Yeah. Um, so boys will be boys as long as they can't talk and have a forum that they're safe among a group of men, a family, church, or wherever, where they can express that. And often, as we've heard on this call, you don't know it's there. I was at five hours of testimony on a sexual harassment bill last night in the Colorado legislature. Multiple women, professionals, lawyers who deal with this every day, perfectly dressed and coiffed, broke down on the stand in a three-minute testimony because it is so visceral. So that's, that's latent throughout all of this conversation. Uh, uh, Ryan, how about you? Yeah. Yeah, I really like that, Alan. Um, you know, the the thing that stands out to me about, you know, maybe a lot of these, and, and it's a point I keep coming back to, I think a lot of these conversations, it felt sad to me that some of the conversation in the panel was about how can women like sort of maneuver within this system of like male dominance and oppression in order to like maximize their best chances when for me, it's like, how can we as men like actually dismantle the system of oppression so that women are not like maneuvering and like figuring out how to pitch better in a, in a system that's dominated by patriarchy. Um, and so I really think that there's a, there's still this like 
point that I keep coming back to where there's a fundamental shift where men realizing that this is actually better for us too. It's not just better for women. Yeah. Like there is more joy, there is more happiness, there is more love, there's more compassion. Um, like until we realize that we are gonna actually benefit and it's actually amazing, like not many men are happy in this system. <laughs> like they might have power, but they are unhappy. And so as, as, um, as, as, as the more that we can communicate that this is beneficial to men at, for us, it's not just a, a favor, then I think that's where we're going to see a cultural shift. And Denise, I'm going to change the, the question just a bit. Will girls be girls? And, and that's a put down. If, I don't know if it's women will be women. Yeah, I don't even know what that like colloquialism like means when you should put it uh, in that in that context. It's it's um, and I apologize. I think someone's mowing their lawn. So when I'm done with this question, I'm going to put my earbuds in. But um, the uh, you know, uh, the the concept of um, I mean, the concept of gender is changing in front of our eyes, which is another just fascinating um a part of evolution and life that we're we're all uh very lucky to be here to witness uh and you know i would say that there i, I think you're right alan that you know boys will be boys is just not acceptable in the in that kind of real traditional uh way that we know it but i do feel that um you know the concept of a boys club um you know i i hear it a lot from women who are raising capital like they don't they they are not um they don't get the opportunity to meet as many investors because they don't hang in those circles there's the you know the idea of like i'm not on the golf course with the guys the, you know and that's not uh i think men you know boys being boys exclusionary on purpose but that is a kind of a a, a community that has developed where business happens, right? So, you know, I, I believe that we have to also try and, um, you know, kind of dismantle that in between as well and make sure that we are, we're inviting, and in the beginning, I believe it will, you know, for a while, it will have to be a very conscious, um, you know, frontal lobe decision like we're we're going we're not going to have these conversations unless there's representation in this group even though it's just over a dinner where we're supposed to be social and we pass ideas and deals back and forth we have to have um, a perspective from a diverse group and we have to make sure that we're offering these you know opportunities to a diverse group of uh you know people women etc so you know there's uh, there's uh, more layers, I think, than, you know, I, I think boys will be boys. Gosh, I hope that's over. But the next the next concentric circle is, you know, where where are uh, where is business happening that women aren't as frequenting as much? And how do we invite them in and make them more comfortable, et cetera, make us more comfortable? Uh, this is after the elephant here on Late Night Health. And we do have comments coming up, but our panel members are just rocking it. So I haven't gone to some of our, our, uh, our, our comments. And if you want to comment, you can comment uh, right on the comment page. Um, two comments. One, Suzanne Shelton uh, said uh, in reaction to Alan that uh, the truth is a lack of vulnerability is a vulnerability. And I agree with that. Um, 
And uh, let's see, we had uh, Servette Hassan who's watching. She'd like to hear comments on what the panel discussed about ageism and sexism in the natural products industry. Uh, Alan, I'll start with you again. Oh, geez, man, you're picking on me. <laughs> um, yes, Denise, everything you said, by the way. It, it's, it's a little bit out of scope for this panel, but I hope that the series moves into these questions about why there are boys clubs and why they exclude them. And I think you've heard my point of view on that. I'm not in very many boys clubs. Um, so you see this stuff, uh, predatory men, and, and I'm going to stick with predatory men. Obviously, these things happen um, across the board. You see predatory men behaving in ways that there's any objective person would say no step back from her don't touch her don't say those things she doesn't want you near her she is communicating that in a thousand different ways what the hell are you doing that could be at the hilton uh, lobby during expo west it can be in a in a uh, cubicles and offices and as well it can be in, in a boardroom where things are being said and done and behaviors being expressed that everyone is uncomfortable with but the perpetrator and i'm using that word uh, on purpose mm -hmm. doesn't get it or thinks in some unconscious place that that's how they should behave that is so broken at the personal level and the cultural level right oh it is i agree so, uh, and the microaggression needs to be followed up with a with a micro pushback no right we've heard that a lot and no means no no and that needs to be from everyone in the room or the yeah. lobby or the cubicle farm or the break room, right? Right. Um, by the way, we talked about boys clubs on our very first session, which was on March 16th. And you can go back and watch that if you want to get more insight onto boys clubs. Uh, let's talk about dollars. I was fascinated and I've got some notes here that women raising money have a more difficult time than men. And, and there were a number of reasons for that. What doesn't quite jive to me is that women across the country generally are running the finances of a family. And in terms of natural products, they determine which supplements and what other natural products are purchased for the family. Yet if they go out and become an entrepreneur and they need funding, they don't, they're not as successful as men. Ryan, thoughts? You know, I'm going to talk it over to Denise to like, this is, I feel like her wheelhouse. You want yes. to yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you, Ryan. You know, it's so, it's so interesting. And I've really, um, I got a lot out of what David was sharing about, uh, you know, uh, women are, uh, when they, when they're fundraising, they are, um, uncomfortable when it gets to the part about asking for money, um, or they giggle. And like that, I found that, um, not surprising, but just such a, a thoughtful insight that I'm going to pay more attention to. But, you know, one of the things that I have heard from, uh, 
female founders who are fundraising. And I also, I, by the way, really appreciated what Claudia said and, and about um, seeing more and more women building businesses, coming through her uh, firm. And, you know, I feel the same that I see that so much more, uh, you know, one of the things that I have heard from female founders in my in my community is um, it's often other women that are like particularly hard on them. And it's you know, there's there's this idea that there will be this kind of camaraderie. Uh, and, but, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of uh, the you know, there's only room for so many women at this table with with capital. So, you know, this spot is taken is is the feeling that um, women entrepreneurs share with me. And and I've you know, I actually think that there is a there is a flip side to that, which is, it, you know, women uh, have when they aren't in an environment where they're um, where they own their businesses, they there is much more pressure and expectation for delivery put on women in a work environment, for, you know, on, on a parity scale, and that that's been proven. Um, uh, and so. Therefore, they are, you know, I think women, we are harder on, we expect more from ourselves and we expect more from the other people that we work with. And so I think that women don't fund other female businesses as much because they don't fund, they're, they're particularly um, discerning about funding all businesses and they're just are less women entrepreneurs. Um, so that was one, one thing that I was thinking about when, um, when David was speaking, but in general, uh, on women raising money. I mean, it's, 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 um, incredible, even in the portfolio that, that we have at Constellation Capital, the, um, the women have so much harder of a time. Uh, there, <laughs> there's this uh, feeling that, uh, you know, the, that the men that are raising money kind of wake up, roll out of bed and do a pitch and, you know, and they, all of a sudden the money starts pouring in and women have to work so kind of so much harder to prove that they are even, um, you know, worthy of the uh, of building a business, and excuse me, Denise. Why yeah. do you think they have to prove themselves more if they have, you know, if they have a product, and you know, whatever that product might be, and they want to sell it, and they need money? Uh, I'm just used to holding products up on camera. Yeah. So, <laughs> why is it? I do think it's that. Um, habitual, you know, a, a situation where, um, you know, men feel more comfortable that more men have capital uh, to invest than women have capital to invest and men feel more comfortable investing in uh, men's businesses and um, expect more from from, you know, women entrepreneurs, you know, that that's, uh, that's my, that's my kind of biggest takeaway. And um, I think there are concerns about you know, sadly, it's, it's a, but there are concerns about uh, women having to split their time between their their role in their home um, and as typically a caretaker, primary caretaker for their their children. If that's their um, if that's the stage that they're at in life, or if that's the choice they made on family, and so it's I, I believe it's those those things combined. But um, you know, I, I think it would be great to hear from from Ryan and Alan on this point too, because you know, I'm kind of on the inside of it and I would love, you know, and have really strong feelings and emotions and people who are, are confiding me about a lot of their fear. And I would love to see, understand what it, it feels like for you both on the outside, um, why you think that, or if you even think that uh, men are harder on women entrepreneurs uh, for, for funding. Are uh, women, 
are, are, are women hard on women entrepreneurs? That's what I hear. Yeah. Um, female investors are hard on female entrepreneurs and men are men um, don't invest in as many female led companies either. So it's kind of like a double whammy. Got it. Yep. Alan, any thoughts? No, I'm going to let Ryan jump in. Thanks, Alan. Um, yeah, I, I have a lot of thoughts on this. I'll try to keep it brief. Um, so in 2016, our company, we raised a, you know, a small fund, a million dollar fund to invest in women and person of color owned businesses. With the, the reason we did that fund was because of the challenges we had seen with women and folks of color in raising capital. So there's a couple of reasons there's a couple of ways that I think this could be imp improved for like fundraising. And, you know, one is just knowing the numbers around, like, I think it's like of all the venture capital, like women are very, it's like a small percentage. And then, you know, black women are actually less than, than 1%, you know, so there's intersectional issues as well. So, um, so that's one piece. Another piece is the expectations of returns um, and this sort of like looking for unicorns, you know, a lot of a lot of investors look for this model of like a white male from Stanford who, you know, dropped out sophomore year and wears a hooded sweatshirt. You know, it's like they're looking for Mark Zuckerberg. And so I think it's important to know that um, there's other forms of capital that people can access. So like venture capital and angel capital from high, high net worth people is less than five percent some say like three percent of all total people who could invest in a company so a lot of folks are looking more towards direct public offerings or you know investment crowdfunding through sites like WeFunder and um, crowdfund main street and so i would say for some w women like don't even go necessarily to those men who are going to be so judgmental it's like there's there's other forms of capital out there um, and then I think it's important for men as well to understand some of the some of the ways that the the way the capital is structured in terms of like if it's a loan, do you need to have an asset to to secure the loan? You know, a lot of a lot of sort of more progressive ways of, of investment capital are like you don't actually need to back it with your house. It's an unsecured loan because of the you know historical oppression of women and folks of color you don't necessarily they don't necessarily have the assets to to back you know getting loans and so i think there's lots of ways to go into it but also happy to to cede my time to see if alan has any other thoughts let's talk about boundaries because that was mentioned in the in the panel as well uh, men and women meet at a convention um they maybe they go out to dinner as a group uh maybe it could even be one-on-one -on -one. uh after a few drinks most people are a little relaxed do those boundaries change at that point denise yeah you know this was the part of the discourse that i was um conflicted by to be honest because and i think ryan touched on this maybe it was Ryan at the beginning, sorry, it may have been Alan, um, but you know, that is it, it's not just a woman's, a woman's responsibility to, you know, be strong and set boundaries. It's also men's responsibility to not, you know, uh, display the behavior that would need boundaries set against, right? And, and I also think this kind of brings in the, the question as it relates to ageism as well, you know, uh, um, 
I, I believe that, you know, women and, and most people as they age, they gain in confidence as they've had more life experience. And so therefore they feel, uh, you know, maybe more empowered to set boundaries than they did when they were uh, younger and starting off their careers. And, you know, I, I mean, speaking for myself, that is certainly the case. I, um, I believe that it's my responsibility for the younger women that work for me, for the younger people that work for me to, to not just uh, show that I stand up for myself, but also that, you know, that we're, that, um, not not put it on them right and not not put them in situations um where they will have to test and test that muscle what maybe before they are ready to and um you know i, I think you know coupled with that is the the generational difference in kind of anxiety and depression um you know that that we're seeing in uh, people in their 20s and 30s and i want to be really respectful of a that that's like a different journey and path than, than maybe um, some of the, like where I am now. I, I didn't have those same, uh, or my generation just didn't have the same challenges, of, you know, in your 20s having lived, living through COVID. So I think it's, um, I think the boundaries piece is important. Everyone in, in life needs to learn boundaries. I don't believe that it's women's responsibility to set boundaries at trade shows. It's, uh, you know, it is the um, responsibility of the trade, the community, the men, and all the way, you know, all of the concentric circles out and um, uh, to, to make it stop. All right, let's get to the nitty gritty of what after the elephant is really all about, and that's solutions. And I'll start with you, Alan. Setting boundaries, um, uh, uh, having more women entrepreneurs get more access to funding. What are some of the solutions that we in the industry can do? Mark, I'm gonna to try to swing for the fences here and connect the last two questions and, and this one. Um, I've, I've been on the pitching side of the table and I've been pitched to a lot. And when I was pitching big multi-million dollar deals to global corporations, um, all men in the room uh, you're allowed to express business risk, but again, you can't express doubt. And the people on the other side of the table don't want to hear that you have doubt. This is a, a, a tacit agreement among the participants. Now, two things happen. If a woman is in that situation and unable to behave like that jerk, <laughs> I got really good of impersonating. Um, men aren't going to believe her, right? And if she wants to be a real full-rounded business person and talk about all of the challenges, she's not going to be, uh, she's not part of the tacit uh, secret handshake agreement. All of that's a broken system, right? But I'm going to jump over to the boundary issue. That same bravado is what shows up in the damn Hilton lobby, right? This idea that that there is no consequence to expressing a a desire, an outcome, or whatever, who's ever around, and that's how I, as a man, am supposed to behave, and and that it's just so crazy. But I'm going to link those two and ask people to think about how those are very much the same thought process, ethic, and behavior that are broken. 
Now, you asked a question that I forgot, but I hope you don't mind my tying some things together. Sure, go ahead. Well, what was your question? I don't remember. <laughs> uh, it, oh, I remember it actually answered it, I think, yeah. Ellen, which is like, what do we do now? You know, like, what, what are the actionable steps, I think, was what it was. And I, I believe that you tied that together really nicely because there are steps, you know, in that. It's uh, not, you know, at least from what I heard. So what you can do now is if you're a, if you are getting a pitch for a venture company, whether if you if someone is making a pitch to you for money, whether it's a man or a woman, you have all these ingrained habits and perceptions. You make a list. We share a list among the industry of questions to ask yourself while you're listening, ways to evaluate what you're hearing, and you ask yourself Am I responding positively to this unrealistic bravado and confidence? Or am I responding to a woman's or somebody's full-fledged human holistic urge, uh, you know, desire to build this company for these reasons based on this foundation? Um, I, I, I'd love to see Ryan. I think you're perfectly positioned to do that, uh, and maybe you have uh, to to build that practice in and challenge venture funds or lenders or whomever else, M and A people, to use a different rubric and not not respond to some ancient uh, uh, childhood emotional uh, response. Ryan, yeah, um, you know, and I can sort of touch on like this broad, like, what should we do? You know, I think there's a few things. Um, one is, um, you know, I think, you know, I've sort of mentioned it, but like men, I feel like this, this burden should not be on women. You know, this should be, men should take this up as like, this is our work. And so I would say that, um, what are the spaces like i'm interested in helping create the spaces where men can like support each other and not just talk about like the football game beer you know and sports cars like that's not relating to to each other on like a deep level that's just i have personally never talked about either one of any of those three <laughs> not not a one you may be unique mark uh you're yeah, a unique well, yeah. um but like what are those spaces that we can talk about vulnerability, like Alan mentioned earlier, that we can talk about like how it's really hard to, to have this pressure to provide, provide for the family. And like, what does that do to our emotional relationships? And how do we deal with stress? What is our mental health for men? So I, I think that's really critical. I think also just, um, you know, inviting, um, using our position and sort of privilege to like invite others to the conversation. So it's like, if I'm going to give, um, you know, a, a panel discussion, it's like, how am I inviting women or folks of color like onto that panel or in replace, replacing myself with folks. So it's like using my privilege and positionality to like invite others to the conversation that might be traditionally av avoided. And so I think there's like both a, a space for, for men to like process and also like there's these sort of actions that can have a big collective impact of like, let's invite, invite folks in to these conversations that might not otherwise be included. How do we help improve a woman's financial stability in the industry? Uh, equal pay for equal work? 
maybe uh, uh, child, uh, 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 you know, caretakers, uh, so that a woman can work because she is primary support for her family. What are some of the options that need to be taken? What steps can we do right now to get that done, Denise? That's a that's a really big question. I I, you know, I think it it um, it begins certainly with being more flexible in what our idea of work is, which which I think that the the world has already started to do kind of by force with with uh, COVID. And and then again, I, I thought David's point was was really interesting as well about um, you know more women leaving the workforce. So there and and that's the the foundation of the uh, uh, labor shortage, etc. So um, you know. We are, and I say the collective, we like, you know, businesses are being forced in order to be competitive. You have to have labor in order to have labor. You know, you're going to have to start to um, create alternative environments um, that are attractive to all people and in, in all, uh, you know, women who have families and um, were, you know, and have different concerns, healthcare that need to be able to leave, we're all, all of these things. Um, and it, I believe that there um, there's things that uh, government should do, but I don't think I don't think we can rely completely on government. And I, so the next step for me would be, you know, compliance related to to industry, like you know, mandates of some of some kind, uh, requirements. And you know, I think that's part of what um, what made me too successful. At, you know, in, in entertainment and music and, and things like that is that it was so shocking that it was it it forced, um, you know, new laws. And that's, that's when culture really begins to change is when there's a legal culpability. I think relying on, on individuals, it's, it's hard. Being in business is hard working, you know, trying to think about how to make an environment when you're trying to deal with the recession, all these like, you know, we, we got to force that inside to, to a certain extent. Right. Um, so it's, it, yeah, big, big question. And the, the, the last couple of minutes here, it's um, let's what solutions, what can we say to the the sea level people? We need to make change. We need to make it now solutions to help women grow. And as Ryan has pointed out, if women are growing, men are going to grow right alongside them. It's a win win for everyone. Ryan. I would say men might grow alongside women if they have the right accountability and support systems in place to allow that growth. So I think that that's lacking. Um, and, you know, another thing I forgot to mention that touches on your point, Mark, is um, if there's a situation like where uh, someone else is making a rude comment or, you know, is asking the woman if they've taken notes in the meeting when it's like, why wouldn't you ask anyone else in the meeting if they've taken notes? Um, you can actually like speak up as a man and say, there's, you know, I, I can take notes. There's no reason, you know, to ask her or like, it doesn't have to be like shaming the person that said it, but just like, you need to be an ally. We need to be allies as men saying like, it's not her responsibility to push back always. Um, and so I would say like, the part of what we can do is like be more advocates and supportive so that women and other folks don't have to always be the one pushing back. Thank you, Ryan. Alan, how about you? 
Well, I think we're all familiar now with the idea of the true cost of food, right? instead of externalizing costs to labor and and the environment and figuring out what it really costs to, to have that steak or that broccoli. But that same con concept needs to apply to the real cost of startups and the real cost of running a business. That goes from healthcare to retirement to flexibility for childcare to maternal leave and paternal leave and, and a recommitment to helping especially young families, or as people get a little bit older, there are other different requirements on that end, but a, a nurturing and supportive environment, which includes training and retraining and sometimes remediation and sometimes a lot of patience, that's mm -hmm. the true cost of doing business. And if the, if, the, if a venture firm strips all of that out of the capital that's required, or if a new acquirer strips that all out and makes it no longer available, yeah, you can bump up your P&L for a little bit. You can make your balance sheet a little bit better, but the cost is still there, and the cost gets more more expensive over time. So I would say that that change in, in uh, consciousness about the true cost of having a healthy, profitable, long-term business, uh, honestly, I don't hear that discussed. And Denise, what can we do now? Well, I, I love what both Ryan and Alan said. So let me underline them, both their points as a starter. And, um, you know, one other thing to add in is, you know, from the from financial institutions, uh, more traditional venture private equity. I would love to see that, you know, when when um, teams are diligencing a deal in a certain category that there's kind of a, a mandate that they that they look at competitive sets of businesses with diverse leadership um as a as kind of like a triple bidding sort of rule like you just you cannot you know invest in this out you have to actually make the case um against a, a group of similar businesses categories whatever it is that has a, a diverse leadership and i think just kind of forcing those sorts of um, behaviors will open up people's eyes to to um, to how much opportunity there is with uh, diverse di uh, companies with diverse leadership and um, therefore open up capital. Got it. And we're going to wrap up with a comment from Amy Summers, and I'm going to bring that up here. And I think she's right. Men tend to not say anything in these situations. They That's just true. sit back and watch. And guys, we got to get up and we got to do it. It's better for everyone. And I think that's how we'll end today. Thank you, uh, Ryan, Alan, and Denise. Hold on just a, a moment or two. Uh, and thank you for watching um, After the Elephant. This has been a special of Late Night Health and our response and discussion to session four of identifying the elephant in the room, critical communication strategies in the face of sexism. And Amy Summers has just done a fabulous job in pulling together industry leaders into this very vital uh, uh, topic. It really is. Join us next week, next Thursday, from 1 to 2 o'clock Eastern time as we examine the topic 
of sexism in the supplement, ingredient, and pack sectors of the natural products industry. And make sure you're registered for the Elephant in the Room session so you can listen to what we're responding to during After the Elephant. Go to invincibox.vfairs.com. That's invincibox.vfairs.com to register if you're not registered yet. And if you missed any of the previous sessions, you can watch them all on replay through the end of the series. And of course, we'll see you back here on social media for our post and discussion on After the Elephant for Late Night Help. Uh, I'm Mark Allen. Again, thanks, everybody. You guys rock. Thank, Thank you, Mark. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll see you next time.